Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. You can find more of my content by going to my website, fitamputee.co.uk. But before we get started with today's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And today's guest, I've got Kendra Lancaster. She's a three-time Paralympian. She's got a bronze medal from Athens, a silver from Beijing, and most recently a silver from the London 2012 Games. It's good to have you on, Kendra. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. So for the, for the guys that are listening... Can you tell us a little bit more about sitting volleyball? Well, um, sitting volleyball is played very much the same as its counterpart, standing volleyball, which most people would probably know the basic rules. Um, Two main differences are when players contact the ball, somewhere between their hips or their bum and their shoulders have to be touching the floor. So no standing up. You have to stay seated on the floor. Um, The net's uh, probably about... Well, hand height for me. Do you remember how high the net is? Uh, it's about a, yeah. Vaguely, what was it? One. It's going off the top of my head now. Was it one ten for women and no, it would be lower than that. One oh five for women and about one fifteen for men. But that's yeah, that that's me about doing right. a guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the net's obviously a lot shorter, so that the game can be played very much the same as if players were jumping to the top of the net. Um, another kind of moderate difference is that the serve can be blocked, which cannot happen during your normal standing volleyball game. So yeah, I mean, it's played very much the same. It's just a sport that's been adapted to kind of equalize the floor for players with lower limb deficiencies. And then how did you get involved in sitting volleyball? Um, I actually played standing volleyball, um, along with many other sports when I was growing up as a kid, uh, in the U S And um, I played club volleyball, which is a massive, massive, massive thing in the U.S. Um, And when I was 16 years old, my coach at the time had met or had seen the USA women's sitting volleyball team playing on like an exhibition at one of the club tournaments that he was at. And so when I started playing on his team, he encouraged me to get in touch with them. And so I did. And uh, I the team was very young at that point, I think. They had only been around for about a year, and so they were really excited to have some new blood come on, someone with a lot of volleyball experience, and so I went and tried out at my first camp and made the team, and the rest was history, really. Yeah. And then, obviously, the the listeners can't see that you have a disability. Have you had your disability all your life? Yeah, so I was born... Um, with my arm amputated just below my elbow. So I essentially have my elbow joint, but no limb below that. And uh, I grew up wearing a prosthetic most of my life uh, and play volleyball with a prosthetic. It allows me to pass with two hands and set and block as well with two hands. So it's pretty, it's pretty essential for me that I have my prosthetic when I play. And then probably did from from memory, you generally didn't have it on from for day to day, did you? Uh, it depended sometimes. Most of the time I did wear it. Um, and actually that's an interesting story in and of itself. Like growing up, I was always really, really self-conscious 
about people noticing that I was missing my arm. Like it wasn't that I was embarrassed of it. It was that I didn't want it to be the thing that identified me. So I would wear like a cosmetic prosthetic arm for most of my life. And then, um, kind of by happenstance last summer, my prosthetic broke. So I couldn't wear it for several weeks and going through that process of kind of realizing like, actually people don't care. And it was more of like a psychological thing for me. So once I kind of broke myself of that habit and that it was a security blanket for me, I mean, it's like trying to take a kid's dummy or a pacifier away from them. You just kind of have to do it and let them get over it for a couple of weeks and then they forget about it. So I don't really wear my prosthetic other than to play volleyball anymore. And then through your progression through the three games that you've done, have you seen, did you see, I should rephrase that a little bit. Did, have you, when you were playing, did you see a progression within not just the US team, but as a sport as a whole, obviously going from when you started, obviously all the way through into to London 2012? Yeah, in the sport, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, I think probably the most drastic changes have been in the women's game. So in Athens 2004, that was the first Paralympics where women sitting volleyball was a sport. So before that, it had been um, men standing volleyball. So they'd never had women's volleyball in the Paralympics before 2004. And, um, you know, the because it wasn't a Paralympic sport until that quad, a lot of the women's teams were, some of them were very experienced and had been playing um, for many years. But over over the next three quads, as it got more attention, and more successes, those programs around the world started receiving a lot more funding and a lot more resources. And um, the the transition that the sport has made has been absolutely incredible. If um, And any of you guys listening as well, if you ever get the chance to watch some of those matches from those original games and then watch a match like what was just played in the women's gold medal match in Rio, it is a completely different sport. Absolutely. Like the volleyball skill most of all has in, has just increased to such an impressive level in the women's game in the men's game. I think, I think it's evolved as well. Um, and that's primarily been kind of in that middle tier of teams that you see in these international tournaments. I think the top teams, Iran, Bosnia, Egypt, um, they've always, they've always played at a very, very high level and they've always finished kind of one, two, three for, or up until Athens, they had always finished like that. Um, and then probably for like London 2012 to have a team like Germany come through who have always been quite strong, but never quite managed to break into that medals onto that medals podium to see them get bronze or was it bronze that they yeah, got in London? Bronze yeah. In yeah, to see them get bronze was was really impressive. So you kind of have this ebb and flow of these teams being being really successful, and that level is raising the level of of the teams kind of below them. And we're getting to a point now in both the men's and the women's game where it's anyone's, you know, it's anyone's tournament. You see a team like Brazil come in and win bronze in Rio, which is obviously really incredible. Being being the home team is is something that's extra special. Um, but 10 years ago, watching them play, even they have some of the same core players, but the skill level has improved so much in those teams. So to go from like kind of one of the bottom tier teams 
to bronze medalist in 10 years is really, really impressive. It's not something that you see quite often. So yeah, the, the sports changed a lot and I think it's got, it can only get better. And I think it's definitely going in that direction. And then we'll, we'll think of another question. Um, what was it like now you've kind of taken a step back from the sport? What was it like to watch your team? I say probably get over that hump and finally win the gold medal. Yeah. I mean, as you say, it really wasn't, it really wasn't getting over the hump for us. Um, we finished, we finished second to China and every major international tournament from the Beijing Paralympic games, basically up until the Rio games. So getting, it was really amazing for me to watch my team and, and getting to see them play for the, it's the first time I've seen them play together in a really long time. Um, so it was really incredible to get to see how they have changed just as a small group over the last couple of years. I mean, their, their cohesiveness on the court and stuff was really inspiring and seeing them really support each other and just get the job done. They were so focused and so incredible. I was really proud of them. But I think the other, probably the more dominating emotions were mixed. Um, Really sad. I was really sad that I wasn't there with them, Um, especially since we fought so hard together over a very long period of time to to really try and beat China when it counted. And um, that was really hard for me to see my teammates and my best friends in some cases, like being in that moment and I couldn't share it with them, which is obviously very selfish, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but there, there were a lot of mixed emotions. I mean, it's, it's really hard um, knowing what it feels like and knowing, knowing how that experience is of the Paralympics and being there with that team. And it they really were my family and it just, it just didn't feel right. But all that being said, I could not be more proud of them could not be more proud of them. I know how much they wanted it. I'll probably echo that sentiment to it being selfish a little bit because obviously for me it was also my first first well first time I've not competed in the Paralympics since not being selected for Athens. So it's kinda I had mixed emotions. Yeah. Uh probably leading into the Olympics and maybe not as much as once the Paralympics started, because my my the well the British team hadn't qualified for London, uh hadn't qualified for Rio, so it was well okay that's that sports I wasn't going to qualify any I wasn't going to go anyway because obviously the team hadn't hadn't qualified, so it kind of lessened that that emotion of not being there. But yeah, the you had some closure <laughs> at the same yeah. time. You're seeing it all over social media, all the different athletes posting, mm-hmm. oh, here's the village. You're thinking, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm envious and a little bit jealous. Yeah, But absolutely. at the same time, I'm quite happy I've not have to done the training to get there. So. <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah, and I mean, for me, it was, I think, something else that kind of contributed to that was that I made that choice to not be a part of that a few years ago when I moved abroad because I felt like um, I had given a lot of years and a lot of blood and sweat and tears 
to the team. And I had the opportunity to move abroad and kind of expand my horizons and um, come here with my now husband. And, um, you know, I, I think the first time in a long time, I made a selfish choice to step away, not really selfish, but kind of giving priority to something other than volleyball. So I'm very much at peace with that decision still, but it doesn't make it any easier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm very happy that I took that time away. And, and really, I think I've grown a lot as a person having the experiences that I had now that I wouldn't have necessarily been possible if I was committed to training with the team. Um, it doesn't make it any easier, especially since there was like, there's always that if or what, yeah, what if, like, what if I had stayed, would I be there right now? And it's like, no, you just have to focus on what you're doing right now and be happy for your friends and be happy for your teammates. And I, I really, honestly, I couldn't be more happy for them. A lot of my friends had really great successes in Rio and it was just so wonderful even to be able to be on the other side, watching that and cheering them on. It was fun. And then obviously their successes, does it spur you on a little bit to want to come back? Are you quite happy with your life decision to take that step away? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I think I think all of the emotions and stuff that have been kind of flying around in my head over the last couple of weeks, they've definitely kind of inspired me um, to maybe start thinking about that. I don't want to make any decisions now because obviously emotions are running high and I'm very excited for them and really miss it and everything like that. Um, but I think it's, it's one of those things where I'm just going to have to sit on it and wait and see if the time is right for me to go back. Because I think one, obviously it's going to take a lot of effort on my part to train hard and, and really get back into it because I have to make the team. I can't just like walk back into the gym and be like, Hey guys, I'm back. <laughs> so there's a lot of work involved in that as well. And the other thing is, is I need to be in a place where I can, I can truly devote myself to the program because it deserves that, you know, and I need to be able, I need to know in my mind that I can devote all of that time and effort and give them every part of me that they deserve. So it's, it's a huge commitment. It's a huge idea and it's something that I'm going to mull over maybe over the next year or so and see what happens. Have I kind of put a little bit of doubt there then? Or, Sorry? Or have I put a little bit of doubt in your mind or has that been there a little bit subconsciously anyway? As to, doubt. To, as, not doubt, as in that you think about possibly coming back into the No, sport. that's been mulling around in my mind for a couple of months now. I mean, it's kind of like you said, when, when the Olympics started, that was when all of these feelings started kind of bubbling up to the surface. Because I think, I think up until the Olympics, I really was totally at peace, like, you know, I love my life. I love that I have all of this time with Ben and all of these opportunities to travel and see the world and do different things that I wouldn't have done, normally done. Um, and I was really, really happy about that. And then the Olympics started and we were watching the volleyball in the opening ceremonies. And it starts like, it starts like stirring up all of those emotions that you get when you're a part of that. And that pride and that, um, that real sense of like accomplishment 
that this is something that, that I have done and this is something that I've been working for and that we've been working for and that those memories came back and also stirred up even more emotion. So this is something that's kind of been bubbling up to the surface for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm not, I, I haven't made any decisions yet, obviously, but it certainly has kind of, it certainly has kind of like popped into my head once or twice. Okay. And then probably from my perspective, uh, were you fortunate enough to get to go to an, the opening ceremonies when you were an athlete? Or did the yeah. sport kind of take over and be, how would I put it? Obviously, I've not, I never got the privilege of going to an opening ceremony because obviously both of the Paralympics I was in, we were competing the next day. So it was always... Yeah taken out of our hands you you I won't say you will not go but it's cuz probably to explain to the listeners you spend hours and hours so they yeah. say on your feet but i've heard loads of athletes say they've set, they've gone to sleep in the uh, in the stages before the opening ceremony just so they're not on their feet so have, yeah. have you been fortunate enough to to get, be in that 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 position yeah yeah actually i was um in all three in all three Paralympics, my team was able to walk in the opening ceremonies. And you're absolutely right in what you say. Like, it's exhausting. Because um, on my team, we always had this thing that we joked about. It was like a hurry up and wait situation. And especially for the, Paral- like, the Paralympics or the Olympics for the opening ceremonies, like, what you see on TV is the athletes walking in. They do a lap around, waving. And that's all you see. Maybe they're out there maybe like 10 minutes. But <laughs> really, it's hours and hours and hours. Like, I think if I remember correctly, like in London, the, the opening ceremony started at, I don't know, maybe seven o'clock, eight o'clock, something like that. And we were outside in the village at like two or three. Like we had to be ready in our outfits, get checked to make sure that we were wearing everything properly. Um and then it was standing around with everyone for an hour outside of our like living area, our residences. And then it was like three or four hours of standing in line because everybody's got to be like sorted by their country and they want to make sure everyone's together and we're all lined up outside the, outside the venue. And then you have to wait until like the countries in front of you go through and so, like, the United States of America, in most languages, is, like, at the is back the of end? the mind. <laughs> I mean, same for the United Kingdom. Are you guys... Oh, they're really going out for it. Go, let's see if I get it right. No, we'd, be, we'd have been last in London. Yeah, in London, you were last. Yeah, and it, it's a long, it's a long old day. But, you know, in London, we had at least a day, maybe two, I think, of downtime between then and, between then and our first match. So... It was perfectly it was perfectly doable for us to do. I mean, there's really no feeling like it. There really isn't. It's it's it was pretty special. Making me more envious now. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I won't say anything else. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of those. It's been it's more obviously from my perspective, it's been it'd be a uh, discussion between the the squads and say, Well, what's the best? Do you go to the opening ceremony and then possibly underperform and then you'll say, well, it's because of that? Or do you not go and you focus on the That's sport, right. which, you, which is technically what you're there for, 
That's before. right. And so it's you've got the you've got to weigh it up and what's best. So obviously some of the countries might not uh, try not to be try to be as PC as possible. They might it's not as as much a professional outlook on their sport as say some of the bigger nations without being too faced yeah. about it. So it's kind of looking at it from that way. So obviously that's the reason why I've I've never done the opening ceremony. I've I've watched yeah. them both, but it's probably not the same as actually being in yeah. in the stadium and feeding off that. Yeah. This, it, and I think it's, it's like you said, it's a very personal decision that you that you have to make as an athlete, especially if there's any doubt as to whether or not being up that late is going to be affecting your performance. Like it's like you said, there's there's this perspective that, listen, I'm here to compete and compete is what I'm focusing on. And in that case, it makes total sense to not go if you think that if you think it's going to be affecting your performance. On the flip side of that, I think for me, like my personal opinion about stuff like that is that I think I think it's a damn shame if an athlete doesn't get to experience that at least once. And I'm not saying that you should have chosen something else. It's just for me, I'm quite an emotional person, so the emotion of it and the experience of it is what really, truly makes that that competition, it kind of sets it apart from everything else, and it's just, it's really special, yeah. Well, but on the flip side of that, I had, because obviously, I was the only member of the British sitting vault volleyball men's team to actually done a Paralympics before so I had a lot of the guys say what is the Paralympic experience going to be like yeah well I can tell you what mine was but then you can't mm. compare one games to another because they're totally different entities so obviously when it came around to that first game okay I I know it's going to be I got a little bit of expectation what it was be there but I was still blown away on that before that first yeah. game thinking because obviously that was all the, a lot of bad cover uh, bad publicity about uh, I won't it won't do very well so you're thinking there was a lot of especially in the media obviously about the money involved with the Olympics mm-hmm. and then you're thinking because I said to people oh, it'd be easy to get Paralympic tickets because that was basically on the what what Beijing was like because obviously what? they were bringing in rent a crowd to fill up the stand. So you're thinking, yeah, oh, yeah, the Olympics will be difficult to get a ticket. But this is to quote yeah. unquote my own words. I said to people, <laughs> yeah, don't worry, they you probably be able to get a ticket, no problem. But I had I had people coming back to me because obviously it was like a lottery system. They come back to yeah, me yeah. saying, I can't get a ticket for blood or money. I'm thinking. So I, I think I've done it in press releases in the lead-up to the Games, said, if you didn't know a British athlete at that point, you were probably not going to get a ticket. So it was case yeah. of, it was kind of going from, okay, and obviously I put this in perspective, the sitting volleyball probably, or especially for the British uh, side of the game, we were used to seeing... Probably how many people would it have been? Probably to be generous, 
uh, at best probably about 20 people in a stand normally and that would yeah. be friends and family so going from that to I don't know what the XL capacity was in the end I think it was like 8,000 or 8, something 000, like that I don't think it was full to capacity because I think for some reason with fire regulations they couldn't fill it completely. But you're going from twenty people for for an example to That's that right. was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So well, it's like you said, it's really hard to compare one games to another games, and especially what you were going to and from, like visiting a country and going into the Paralympics and competing is just night and day from competing in your home country. And I think that's also testament to a job well done with the London um, in for London 2012, because the support that showed up for you guys was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And the support that was shown by the city of London was absolutely amazing as well. Like um, even for our families that were there, it was obviously a lot easier for them to go to London than it would have been for like Athens or Beijing um, not only was it a lot closer than Beijing, but also they were going to a country in China where very few people spoke English and there was very little English around. So you have this language difference as well, but there was this like real warmth and feeling of being at home that my mom and my sister really appreciated when they came and my grandmother was there too. It was just just the little things like being on the tube and there would be like London Paralympic representatives coming up and asking them, Oh, you guys are family. Like who, who are you supporting? Where are you going? Can I help you find your way? You know, it's, um, it was just really incredible. Like the difference between Beijing and London as well. Like even I can say between these three games that I've been to, people always ask like, what was your favorite? They always ask, like, what, which games oh, was I, your favorite? I hate that question. And you can't, you can't <laughs> even begin to explain that because, you know, I just tell them, like, I can't choose one. They were so different from one another. And, like, Athens was such an incredible experience for me because it was my first games and I was so young. And I just went around, like, completely doe-eyed and absolutely amazed at <laughs> everything I saw. And then going from Athens to Beijing, the, like the scale of Beijing was, it was on a different planet from what Athens was. Like, I mean, maybe you'll agree with this, like Beijing was huge. Everything was massive. There were just millions of people everywhere all the time. And the village was beautiful and landscaped and they had like a river flowing through it. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, um, you know, it, it was just, in Athens, the Athletes Village wasn't even finished. Like, the, the landscaping wasn't finished. I remember there being, like, cinder blocks and stuff just <laughs> laying where the grass was supposed to be. And it was lovely. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I understand it's a massive thing to organize. But going from that to Beijing, and again, you're just amazed. Like, this is what it's, this is what it's supposed to be like, this, like, huge event and everything went well and it was just massive and just it was finished on like a whole different level from Athens. So that was how Beijing stood out to me. And obviously we went from being in the bronze medal match to the gold medal match this time. So that kind of upped the ante. And then for me being in London was super extra special because I was lucky enough to be there given like 
the last year that I had before I was there. Um, and getting to experience that with Ben and, and with my family being there again, cause my family weren't in Beijing. It was, it was just on a whole different level. And I think the, the level of care that seemed to have been given to the London 2012 games and the pre- kind of the level of recognition that it received in, in London and the support from the city and stuff. I think, I think that also made it extra special. So yeah, it's, the games are all so different and they have their own personalities and they have their own, you know, downfalls and they have their own things that they excel at, but they're all special for a different reason. Yeah. I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, okay. Kendra, um, thank you very much for your time. Uh, if anybody Thanks. wanted to connect with you, what is the easiest way for them to get hold of you on social media? Um, I am on, I'm on Facebook, Kendra Lancaster Hall. I'm on Instagram. I think my handle now is it's K bomb. Um, and my Twitter is Kenny Lynn 15, but I'm rarely on my Twitter. So any of those three things, happy to happy for anyone to reach out to me if they have any questions or just want some, maybe some suggestions, some suggestions for ways to get involved in disabled sports in their area. Do my best to connect you. And then to finish on, uh, why did you go with that uh, Instagram handle? <laughs> what, what, what links it into that? Yeah. Um, so my nickname with, I think a lot of your team and some of my other friends is K bomb because of the Lancaster bomber, obviously and Lancaster being my last name. So that's one of the more special nicknames I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I know who, who you met, mentioned within that, within that team specifically. So I won't name him. <laughs> so thank you very much. And thanks for taking the time out of your day to speak to me. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.